Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. This morning. And uh, in 30 minutes this morning, I was able to get through one point. And so now I have nine to go in 29 minutes. 29 minutes, nine points. Somebody do the math, and and, uh, we'll see how long we can take on each one of them. But I'm thankful that we got through the most important one. Uh, That's the only one in all of it that will really make a difference in your life. And that is if you've seen Jesus. And, and I'm glad the book of Revelation starts with that. You say, Pastor Ward, I, I don't understand all this stuff in the Revelation. I don't understand all these things and all this stuff about coming and all going and all these kind of things. Just, you don't have to know one thought of eschatology to get into the kingdom of God. You don't have to have any, you don't have to have any experience as far as the, the chronology, chronological passing of uh, the uh, events and their sequence and all that. You don't have to be able to get them one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, but if you know him, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And if we don't get any further than that, we're perfectly fine with it. Uh, I want to share with you a few things tonight. I'll try to read over some of them and just kind of go through the points and we'll do that little exercise and then we'll be ready to go eat, all right? And so we're thinking about the second thing. The first thing that John saw in Revelation chapter number 1, verse 5 through 18, uh, John saw Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that he sees, and I may just read down through some of these. I could get tied up on absolutely every point in this thought. I'm glad that the Lord's been dealing with my heart here in the book of Revelation. The second thing that John uh, sees in his uh, revelation from the Lord is the church age, the age of the Christian church. Now, it is divided into seven different church groups, and each of these, it is believed in theological circles that each one of these churches in progression, the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at uh, Pergamos, the the church at Thyatira, and then Sardis, and and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I probably left one out, but they, they are... They show us certain church eight, uh, times in, in age. And the first one being the church at Ephesus. And of course the last one being the church at Laodicea. And I believe that that is a church that according to God's progression that will be on the scene when the rapture of the church takes place. Now, uh, we don't have time to look at all of it uh, in, in the depth that we should, but the first one that's made mention of is found in Revelation chapter number 2. If you have your Bibles there, look in verse 4 and verse number 5. He addresses uh, his thoughts. We don't have time to look at all of it tonight, how he knows their works and their labor and their patience, but he has somewhat against them, a something that he's uh, not satisfied with. We find it in verse 4 and verse number 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, 
and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. And so we see the first church is the fallen church at Ephesus. The fallen church at Ephesus. Um, in, in these, uh, uh, this is, by the way, uh, this is one, what well, is the only church that we have record before and after. We have record, I believe it's found somewhere in, um, in, the, um, in the book of Ephesians, maybe it's chapter 5 and verse number 2. I don't remember, I don't have it written in my notes tonight, but somewhere along in there I can find it for you. He, he, he spoke to the church at Ephesus and he said these words. He said, here's, here's his command to them. It's very simple, walk in love. That's, that's what he told them to do. And yet now, uh, a century later, uh, perhaps a century later or so, we see these words that are coming to the church at Ephesus and, uh, and it says that they have left their first love. And so we see the fallen church at Ephesus. The next age, the next church that we come to is the church of Smyrna and he has something to say to them. Look in, um, in uh, verse number 9 and verse number 10. He said, I know thy works and the tribula and uh, tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which they say are Jews, but are not, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And so his challenge to them is fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. The second one that he sees is the church at Smyrna, and that this particular church would be called the fearful church. He, he speaks to them and said, don't have any fear. And they had fear, and rightfully so. Uh, they had been assigned to persecution and tribulation, perhaps uh, not known again even in the day and hour that we live in. And so we see the fallen church at Ephesus and the fearful church at Smyrna. Let's move on. Look at the uh, third one in line. It is the faltering church at Pergamos, chapter number 2, verses 14 and 16. But I have some, a few things to say against thee, because thou hast uh, there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and eat the things sacrificed to idols and commit fornication. And, uh, and so we see, and we could read on, he said, Thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. He said, Repent or else I will come to, unto thee quickly. And so we're, we have this introduction to, and we see it at Church of Ephesus too, I believe, uh, this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and it's, uh, there's not a lot of information to be gained about that. It seems to have something to do with, with uh, uh, their deeds and their doctrines, the things that they were doing. We do know this that they were even eating the things that were being sacrificed under their idols. So we know that the one thing that they were doing, above everything else, they had a great number of idolatry within their congregation. Uh, these idols were creating stumbling blocks and, uh, and fornication even within the church. Let's move on. 
The next church is the false church of Thyatira. Notice what he says about them in the, uh, in the, the Revelation chapter 2, just in verse number 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself, watch out now, a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants and commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Then I want you to notice, not only do we have a fallen church and a fearful church, a faltering church, a false church at Thyatira. And then the fifth being the famous church at Sardis. Notice what he says um, about them. Notice what he says in chapter 3 and verse number 1. i got to hurry. i got to really go fast now. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. And unto the angel of the church at Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath seven spirits of God and seven stars. Look at this. I know thy works. Look at the next phrase. That thou hast a name. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. I've given this one the title of the famous church at Sardis. They're highly recognized. They have a name, but God's not satisfied with the efforts of the church at Sardis. And he goes on. There's a great message to be preached there on that church. We don't have time to look at it tonight. And uh, then the, the, the sixth one in line being the church at Philadelphia. Uh, we understand uh, now the progression from the church at Ephesus to Smyrna. Each of these are representing decades of the last 2,000 years of church history. Some of them represent a greater part of a millennium. Uh, a millennia. And so we see that, that things are progressing and God is identifying the various and different ages of the church. Many people believe that we have just passed the age of the church of Philadelphia. And we're, we have entered into the Laodicean church age, which is the last and final church that God identifies with in Asia Minor, actual churches representing different periods of time. The church at Philadelphia. They're the church of brotherly love. You know about them. Uh, notice what he said in a chapter number 3, verses 8 through 10. He said, I know your works. I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for, uh, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have have loved thee because thou have kept the word of my look at it thou have kept the word of my patience I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation that is being the great tribulation I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world and to try them that dwell upon the earth God's promise to the great church at they were they were a missionary church and uh, for the maybe the first 200 years or so of the history of our wonderful and great nation. The emphasis has been and the blessings have been on our nation because of the presence of the church of the living God. And our nation has, our, our, our nation as a whole has had much benefit and been rewarded because of the churches that are planted all across the land. One time. 
One time, the churches across the land of America, maybe, maybe in the uh, mid to late 1800s, we've studied some of this on Wednesday night uh, in studying our King James Bible. We've studied some of this, uh, uh, some of the things that were happening along that time, some revivals and all those kind of things. But for the better part of 200 years or so, our nation has been at the top of the list in sending missionaries around the world. Our nation has been at the top of the list in baptisms and, and increase. And, and while other nations, uh, Christianity, and there, ha, there, there has been a turn in some places in, in Korea, South Korea, and uh, other places around the world, great revivals in parts of India and so on and so forth, thousands and thousands of people being saved, but you're not seeing it much in America anymore, are we? That church at Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, and uh, all the things that that uh, that we that we and, and the great revivals and and the great preachers and the great church. You know, by the way, can I say this? That you know that most of the great churches that you know of in America, and there are some great churches that are popping up and building up and growing, and and God's doing wonderful things. I'll I'll never uh, doubt or deny His efforts and His works with His church. He's going to do something somewhere sometime. And if we want it, we can have it. If we don't want it, he'll do it somewhere else. We can have all the revival that we want. We can have all the results that we want. We just got to spend a lot of time in prayer. And we got to spend a lot of time in effort uh, and, and so on and so forth. You know the drill. You know the drill. But somewhere after World War II and uh, through the 650s and through the 60s, the greatest churches in America, most of them were founded in, in the late 40s and throughout the 50s and the 60s. And I'm so glad I kind of got in on the tail end of that. I got saved in 1972. And, the, and uh, every, it, it was said at that time that in every major city in America, the largest church was a Baptist church. In every state in, in, uh, in America, every, uh, the largest church in every state was a Baptist church and, and, uh, and they were winning souls and great men like R.G. Lee and J. Harold Smith and, and, uh, and they go on to the Harold Seitler and Oliver B. Green and Lester Roloff and all of those men. They were traveling across this land. Thousands upon thousands of souls were being saved. Sunday school records were set in every state and and then all of a sudden, somewhere in the 80s and the 90s, we begin to just taper off a little bit. And then we have probably entered into the last and final church age, the church of the Laodiceans. I wish that we could identify with the church at Philadelphia. And there are some. There are some around. There are some wonderful churches in Lowndes County. There are some wonderful churches in the state of Georgia. And, uh, and you know that as well as I do. But we are gradually falling into the devil's trap. And our churches that used to be strong in the faith and thriving, we have, we have, we have changed our, our uh, desires. We have changed our efforts. Uh, we've, we've tried to create momentum out of entertainment and a thousand other things. We either want our, our churches to be like a like a, a, a nightclub or whatever the case may be. You know, we've got to have, and by the way, that's tough. It's tough when a church is built and designed on this idea that we're going to do something bigger and greater every week after a while. You get kind of exhausted with that. 
And so, if you're building on the foundation of faith, and if you're building on this Word, it's slow. It's slow building. I've been in the ministry for 45 years. I've been here for 42, almost 42 years now. And it's hard work. It's still hard work to draw a crowd and get people in. And, and, uh, and you thank God when you're able to accomplish a little bit of that. But there's somewhere, there's a line that needs to be drawn between truth and right. And you see that in the church at Laodicea. Let's see what he said about them. Uh, now we're in chapter number 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen. Uh, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. That almost sounds like you're straddling the fence, doesn't it? Now, not to give the wrong impression, but it almost seems like somebody is not calling it black and white, but they're calling it kind of a pale gray. You're not hot and you're not cold. He said, I would. He said, I, he goes on and he says, in, um, I know thy works that thou art neither hot nor cold. Uh, I would thou wert cold or hot, cold or hot. And he said, so then, so then, let's read on. Because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Look at verse number 17. Because thou sayest, and, and this, is, this is kind of the measure that we, that we see this day and hour. He says, because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods. And look at this next phrase, and have need of nothing. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sad but true statement. Let me finish reading the verse. And uh, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, and uh, Jesus has walked out the door, and he's on the outside. And there, most churches today, if Jesus never showed up one time, they could continue to operate. I mean, we've got the money, we've got the facilities, we've got everything that we need. And I'm telling you, without Jesus, it's nothing. If we can't have Jesus, we don't need anything. And uh, he needs to be first place in everything. We're here to bring honor, praise, and glory to Him. Not some, uh, you know, someone or some person or some celebrity or some, some figurative, you know, somebody behind the pulpit. And, and it, there's a day and an hour that we're living in that we have entered into the Laodicean church age. And we're seeing our churches, even though they have great numbers and a lot of noise, and we, they call it a, a numbers, nickels, and, and noses, and, um, and, uh, and that seems to be the measurement. You know, and I'm not against having a large church. I wish we had more people. I wish every seat in this building was full. Every pastor would wish and desire that. But I tell you, there, there's something that you, that you don't want to lose. And you don't want to lose him. You don't want to lose him. All right. I hope you're with me there. <coughs> I believe there's, there has to be a church in every community that just believes this book <clears throat> and they sing the songs of Zion and they go out and they knock on doors and uh, we're privileged to send buses up and down the streets and this triangle from here to Clytonville and Lake Park and back and uh, there's still an effort that's going forth and there's still prayer and there's still worship 
And uh, we need to make sure, because I still believe with all my heart, and uh, there's, there's times the devil kind of comes to me and said, well, you know, if you just kind of, you know, just kind of lighten up here or tighten up there, whatever the case may be, you know, you know, and you know, and you know, and you watch others' churches, they're, they're going up like a rocket, and sadly, sometimes they come down like a rock. You've got to make sure that you're following. Hey, by the way, it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Jesus is standing. I'm telling you, churches can operate without him. He's standing outside, knocking the door. That's what it is. He's finished reading the verses. I don't have time. I got nine minutes to finish eight points. Now, I can do the math on that one pretty fast. He's knocking on the door, knocking on the door. John saw the church age. Then John saw the rapture, number three, in Revelation chapter four and verses one and two. I have so much other to say about that church at Laodicea. It literally means this, lay led. It's, it has to do with a church that's run by committees and, and, it, and, and it's the, it has to do with the organization of the church and God is not in charge. It's, it's, a, it's a committee run church and uh, so much that could be said there but I'll, I'll bypass it at this uh, point in time. And that's, uh, it's, it's, it, the word is the word laity and uh, operated and so that's kind of what you get. That's what you kind of get um, in the Laodicean church. John saw the rapture. I believe it's the next event on God's calendar. After this, behold, I looked, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard, first person that he saw was Jesus. The first voice that he hears, he said, which I heard uh, was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. I believe it's the picture of the rapture of the church. The next thing that happens on God's spiritual calendar is the trumpet will sound. We're not going to take time tonight to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following. And, uh, and the promise that he makes that one of these days our, our bodies are going to get up out of the grave. He promised that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I don't know that I've ever had a funeral that I didn't make reference to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. That is, uh, that is to remind us there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound and the voice of the archangel and we're going to go up and there's going to be a glad reunion in the, in the sky. And we'll meet the Lord and we'll see him and uh, our loved ones that have gone on before. John saw the rapture. Can I say this in the fourth place? John saw the redeemed. Look in chapter number five. In chapter number five, begin reading in verse number nine. And uh, they sung a new song saying, now, Here's what's happened to the point. There was this book, and nobody was worthy to open it. And so finally the lamb comes, and he is worthy to open the book. And when they open the book, they find these things. And they, sung, they saw these things, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. 
For thou wast slain and, and hast, re, here it is, and redeemed us to God. Can't get away from this. By the blood, amen? By the blood out of every, look at here, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I'm telling you, it got on in chapter number four after John was raptured up. We have this wonderful scene around the throne of God, the four and twenty elders and the beast, and, and they're, they're going about the throne of God. If I could, I'd pay somebody five dollars to come around, run around this pulpit. But they're running around the throne of God, and they're saying, holy, 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 holy. They're worshiping God. And then you come to chapter number five, and we get in on the worship. Hallelujah. Notice what he sees the redeemed. He said, and thou hast made us unto our, uh, our God and kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. I'm trying to go too fast, but i got to hurry. And uh, look at this. And I beheld and heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Here we are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Power and riches. You'll see 17 terms that we'll learn in Bible language 101 as soon as we get to heaven. There's about 17 terms that we'll learn in the book of Revelation if you take time to go through it. Here's a handful of them. To say power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. He said, and blessing in verse number 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth as such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I, I heard, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. You see the redeemed. You say, well, you know, I ain't so sure about all that, all that uh, raising hands in church, and I ain't so sure about all that amen, praise God, hallelujah. I'm not so sure. You'll, you'll, you'll catch on one day. You'll catch on one day. I sat over here on this side tonight. I didn't sit with my wife. She's almost 70 years old. You know, she's getting, she's getting old. She'll be 70 years old. And uh, so I, I sat on the other side. Now, here's the reason why. We're not having any trouble. Uh, we're, we're doing fine. But she's been videoing the choir and the special music, and she's been putting it on Facebook, and our friends, people that we know that don't even know Jesus, you know what they do every week? They wait to watch the videos that she puts up. So I'm sitting over there by her this morning, and I'm, I'm sitting there like this, and uh, she's right here beside me, and she's got her, cam her, her phone out just, just doing the music, and she'll put that up sometime tomorrow. And we have hundreds and hundreds of friends uh, on our Facebook. And they'll watch that. Some of them never go to church. And so that's just become her little ministry. When we were all, when we were all the time live stream, she'd sit at the back of the building. And she'd sit there and wouldn't pay me any attention. Hadn't paid me any attention in 52 years. Why start now? And... Uh, and she's sitting there and she's communicating with those people. We're so glad you're here. Somebody from Scotland and somebody from Canada and somebody from California and all these people. And she made friends. And so that's just kind of her ministry. She's not the assistant pastor here. She's not the co-preacher here. And so she's got a little ministry. So she's sitting there with a camera and the choir is singing. And man, I'm, I, I'm not shouting. I'm not standing up. 
physically, but down in my heart, I'm standing up and I'm saying, Woo! Glory to God. And my hands are in the air, but I'm just sitting there like this because every time I make a noise, she goes, and so I sat over there tonight. I sat over there tonight. And uh, so don't read anything into us not sitting together in church tonight, right? Man, sometimes you can't help it. I, I, I love it when some of the most reserved people, I mean, it gets on in church. I, we've come to church before, and before the pianist could int- make the introductory uh, for the choir, uh, we've seen it get on before. I mean, you're just, you hear the music, but you know the words. And God moves in with us. And uh, I'm telling you, I love those hallelujah moments. I'm not shy about that. I'm a little older now, and I don't give up as quickly. I don't run as well, and uh, all those kind of things. But I tell you what, my inside sometimes, they just can't hardly stand it. I was clapping hands without even making a noise this morning. I was shouting, well, glory, hallelujah, hallelujah to God. Bless his holy name. Every bit of that was right down on the inside here, and nobody heard a bit of it. So it'd be nice for her little video. But I tell you, one of these days, you say, preacher, I've never put my hands in the air. I've never said hallelujah, glory to God. I've never stood up and given a testimony about what Jesus did for me. But I'm telling you, friend, one day, I, I, love, to see, I love to see people that are so reserved at church. I love to see them at a ball game. I had a family years ago. First time Lowndes High won a state championship, my alma mater, 1980, won a state championship. And we were there. I was right on the 50-yard line and uh, on, on the home side, about 20 rows up. And uh, over here, about uh, five rows in front of me, over to my right, was one of the, the families of Victory Baptist Church. And uh, they usually sat in church, not with their arms crossed. They weren't, weren't anything along that line. But, you know, they were just kind of real mellow. And, and that's perfectly fine. Never how God makes you up. But don't worry about me when I get excited, okay? And, uh, and so it, the, it's counting down, lounge ahead 24 to 8 or 12 or whatever the score was. And the clock was counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, three, and everybody was screaming and jumping and hollering. We had won the first state championship, and we were so excited, and everybody was so excited, and they were, everybody was just like this, and I was, and uh, the, the lady that was down there five rows ahead of me, uh, she, was, she was just kind of dancing around, you know, she looked like Griffin up here when, I, I like Griffin, he's got the best little moves, my little great-grandson, and uh, he came up here a while ago, and Andrew was playing on the guitar, and Griffin, he just, he got... <laughs> And sometimes he does it like this. And you don't have to teach them. I mean, you, you don't have to. That's just natural as it can be. And so that, uh, I, looked in, I looked over to my right, and she was, she was, she was up in the seat, and she's just kind of dancing around and jumping around. And she turned around, and she looked at me, and I was standing there like this. You got to make hay while the sun's shining, <laughs> and uh, but what a hallelujah time it's going to be when we get to glory. We'll have to stop there tonight. Well, I wanted to get to. I don't want to get to the tribulation period, but it's, 
it's of, it's of great need that we do. Uh, I don't want to talk about the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the Great Tribulation period, but we sure need to talk about it. We need to understand. We need to understand. I don't especially want to talk about, oh, I do, I, want, I do want to talk about this, when the devil's chained for a thousand years in the pit, and Jesus Christ reigned for a thousand years. Then it's a mystery to me, after Jesus has reigned on the earth for 1,000 years, the devil has been in a pit for a thousand years, and he gets out at the end of the a thousand year reign of Christ, he's released, and in a short period of time, he builds a large enough army to make another attack in, pa in Palestine. One final desperate attack. The Battle of Gog and Magog. Armageddon, the Battle of Gog and Magog, there are two distinctively different battles. One is before the uh, thousand-year reign of Christ, after the tribulation period, before the thousand-year reign of Christ. One immediately uh, follows the uh, thousand-year reign of Christ. The battle of, of Armageddon is one that God initiates. He said that I, these are not the words, but he said that God made war. The battle of Armageddon. But then when you come to the battle of Gog and Magog, it's the devil that's making war. And God with one swoop of fire out of heaven finishes the deal. It's over for the devil. I don't want to talk about the judgment of God, but it's necessary. But I'll tell you what I do want to talk about. I want to talk about heaven. And we'll look at those things. It'll be another day, another hour. We'll look at those things and, uh, as the Lord gives time. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you might help us as we look into your word. Lord, I pray that our lives might be changed through our hungering and thirsting for truth and righteousness and right. Lord, help us to understand that we're living in the last and final days, obviously. We're there. Lord, we should expect a shout and the trumpet at any moment. Help us to be busy about your business in all that we do in Jesus' name. While these are praying, we invite you to come.